Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Welcome back, everybody. We are so grateful uh, that you keep showing up and being with us every week. My name is Alicia Stickles. I am your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind. We are here for Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast, and I'm here with my mom slash founder slash lead counselor of No Heart Left Behind, Abby Shields. And here we are again. In my closet. In your closet. (laughs) My mom says I have a lot of shoes. She does. (laughs) So in our first, in part one of our series, Marriage Broken Together, we just kind of talked a lot about the idea of where this broken together concept came from. And you had talked about a song that was written by casting or was recorded by casting crowns. Right. right. Just talking about two broken people coming to marriage and how you have all these expectations and dreams of what your marriage looks like. And a lot of times it's not even close, not even close to what you imagined or thought of maybe the first year. But after that, um, it kind of goes downhill. Yes. And I want to read, if I could, um, because we do this series uh, here locally. You, you put it like this. It says, the question that Mark Hall and Bernie Herms are addressing in this powerful song is, can you lay down who you thought I was and love the me that is? The me that is marked with wounds, insecurities, and brokenness. And so really the goal of the series is to answer the question, how do we live broken together with all of this yuck and wounds that we that we bring into the marriage? Right. When I went into the marriage, I thought I could change my husband. I thought I could. He was very quiet and very reserved and not very social, and I thought for sure that me being the social person that I was could change him. And those were my expectations that if he lived with me long enough that he would be able to be like I wanted him to be and found out that that was furthest thing from the truth. You always say, and I find it funny and mostly funny probably because it's true, is just this idea of the things that originally like attract you to each other um, are the things that as the years go on, sometimes... Tear you apart, right. He, um, I married my husband because he was very 
steady and kind and quiet and brought stability into my life. And he married me because I was outgoing and funny and I did my I did his talking for him. And so the first couple of years, that was great. But about seven years into the marriage, uh, I began to get restless because I thought he was very boring and <laughs> he thought I was very impetuous. And um, it was the things that attracted us to each other that were beginning to tear us apart in our marriage. Yeah, I I can relate to that, too. I mean, Carrie, we must have married. Carrie, my husband is very like scheduled and routine and goal oriented and at f I think when we got married, there was a part of me that I um, was very attracted to his drivenness and stability, we'll say, because I'm kind of like spontaneous, fly by the seat of my pants. You know, all of my friends know that, you know, I'm just hot mess express. When it comes, and I just like doing fun things and kind of doing them on the spur of the moment. And that drives Carrie like, no. it stresses him so much. And then I'm like, I can get aggravated with him when I'm like, oh, do we have to have the same dinner on Tuesday every week? <laughs> so anyway, so um, so we just talked about that and just understanding where our brokenness came from. Right. And that all happened in the garden Right. Can you talk a little bit about that just to kind of refresh everybody's memory who maybe didn't join us last week? Well, our, our brokenness happened in the garden when we were separated from God because we were created to be one with God. And uh, when sin came into the world, it separated us from our love source. And so instead of we were created to love others. And when we were broken, we then instead of living our lives to love others, we now live our lives to be loved and seek that from the world instead of from God. And that's the basic foundation of our brokenness, which is sin, which is the DNA of sin itself. Yeah. Right. So how does that play into marriage? So when you say you look to the world, does that mean like that we look to our marriage to get these things filled? Like how does marriage right. I, relate right. to I that? I look to my husband to meet my needs instead of looking to God to meet my needs because our, our belief system is that at the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. And so that means basically that our problems are in marriage are spiritual problems. But we look to our spouse to fulfill and heal the spiritual issues, which there's nothing in this world that can heal spiritual issues. So, so I look to my husband for my security, which is a spiritual need. And when he didn't give it to me, then um, I got this illusion that he was not capable or cap was able to contribute. And, um. and I find it so easy, like, uh, to fall into that um, looking for the husband or the wife to to meet your needs. And you know, um, when actually, like, when in you know First Corinthians thirteen four, the verse that's always you know the verse spoken at the at the wedding and everything you know love is this love is that and one of the things that it talks about love being is not self-seeking right. and man I, I know for me like that's a tough one for me um to just stay in the heart posture that i and i am in this marriage to serve my husband not get from him and now is it 
icing on the cake when I do get from him and and but that's all gift that's all extra that that marriage going into it and and what real love looks like is that it's not self-seeking and that can be really difficult difficult yeah so today what we're going to talk about um is we're going to get into something called covenant marriage versus contract marriage and really what we're talking about here is god's design for marriage right is that god's design for marriage versus the world's design for marriage and we're going to be looking at we'll first take a look at what what was god's purpose for marriage and then once we um, talk about that then we're going to be going into taking a look at the difference of marriage according to the world or marriage according to god and remember i believe in our first sessions we talked about um perspective that god desires that we live from his perspective which is the word versus living from the world's perspective which are the lies that satan wants us to believe to be true and so that's basically what we'll be looking at today is what was what's the perspective of marriage according to the world versus the perspective of marriage according to god's way and we will ultimately want to teach you that marriage is so much more effective and runs smoother when we live it according to God's perspective instead of the world's. Yeah. Okay, so before we dive into covenant versus contract marriage, which I'm super excited to jump into all of that, I think we kind of need to understand God's original design and purpose for marriage. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, marriage ultimately is God's creation. Okay. Therefore, your marriage is before God. It's not just for the two of you. I, I hate to tell you this, but a lot of people look to marriage so that they can be happy. I hear that a lot in my in my office where they just come in and they say, I'm just not happy. He's not making me happy or she's not making me happy. And ultimately, God's purpose for marriage is not about our happiness. It's about our holiness. Mm. Now, what that means, basically, yeah, is... Yeah, you're going to have to unpack that for us. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of disappointed yeah. listeners right now. <laughs> it's it's not about walking around singing kumbaya and, you know, hmm, and being spiritual. It's about, basically, he uses marriage to refine us so that um, because scripture after scripture talks about hard times um, either making us spiritually mature or teaching us to depend on God rather than ourselves. And um, because ultimately, when we were created and when God created, his plan prior to the fall from man and woman was for them to function as one unit. And so they were to function physically, perceptually, and emotionally, but also spiritually. And so that's the goal of God before the fall, was to be one in all areas. Mm -hmm. After the fall, we were separated. Our spirit, because he said, if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. And he meant die spiritually. And so in coming together, we oftentimes look to our spouse to fix us or to fulfill or you know we've heard the pe person say you complete me well no human being can complete you spiritually because that only can come yeah. from god which comes that phrase 
you know, or that that's where that perception of I need you to make me happy. Right. When really it's about loving sacrificially, right. which is the right. holiness. But, that, absolutely. Holiness basically is sacrificial and living your life um, different than the way those who don't who aren't connected to God live. And so to be one in spirit with Christ at the center of your marriage, it's the cross that connects you to God first spiritually and then to one another. That's the two bars of the cross, vertically and connecting vertically, but then also then connecting horizontally in a spiritual way. To one another. To one another, yeah. right. Um, so I can remember when I was going through marriage or premarital counseling uh, with our pastor. And one big thing that he talked about in terms of the, the purpose for marriage was this idea of leaving and cleaving. And then you kind of add in there weaving. So what is leave and cleave and weave and all of those things. Where does that come from? I believe it's in Genesis. It's in Genesis 2.24 where it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And so leave means you leave all others and you make a covenant, a commitment to choose to live with that individual, period. And I think sometimes, you know, I know from my experience of just having my family of origin be such a tight, close-knit family, remembering that, in in a sense, this is not my family anymore, to leave that family of origin and cleave to my husband. And so what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is, you know, honoring his needs and wants and trusting him to make decisions for our families and not always letting you get in my ear or, well, when dad says something, him get in my ear. I mean, obviously, you know, counsel is, is great, but when it comes down to it, I'm cleaving to my husband and having to leave that family of origin. I mean, that can be a In-laws get in the way a lot. (laughs) I remember you asking me, Mom, how do you know that this is the man that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life? And I remember telling you that I said, sweetheart, um, it's not always, it's not about finding the right person because you're never going to know that this is the right person. Ultimately, through your years of marriage and the 50 years that I've been married, um, it's more about becoming the right person. And that's the purpose of Scripture and the cross and Christ at the center of your marriage. That's why I um, propose that so much and I'm very, very adamant about getting Christ at the center of your marriage. Yeah. Okay, so leaving is leaving that family of origin, cleaving to your spouse. What's the weaving thing? The weaving, ultimately, if you think of a rug that has been weaved together and it's tightly bound and there's there's no holes or anything, it's like coming together. It's a total commitment and where you don't, you can't be pulled apart by the world. A tightly weaved rug all right, is really hard to pull apart. And um, it's very difficult. And so it is to leave, to cleave, which is to create a permanent bond that cannot and should not be torn apart. Then that then brings the weaving where you are one and you operate as one. Right. And so I guess just like everything else um, in the world that broke, 
you know, marriage broke too. Yes. And so now I think it's a good um, opportunity to talk about like the ways that that has broke. And, and the way I hear you always describe that is that perception of loving sacrificially and not being self-seeking in marriage and the original design for marriage. Um, we've twisted that or the enemy has twisted that and it it almost seems like it's become more of a contract marriage than a covenant marriage. So right, right. let's talk a little bit about contract marriage and what what that looks like and, and how that's... Well, I think we need to back up just a little bit and, and understand the world's approach to marriage. Um, because if you remember that the DNA of sin is self, and that's so important to remember that sin is truly all about self-seeking, wanting what you want, uh, living for yourself not to serve. So the world's approach to marriage then is to focus on your personal rights and needs, where I need you to do this for me instead of the other way around, where it's I'm here to serve my husband. So Understanding the marriage of marriage's approach to uh, the world's approach to marriage, okay, the world views marriage in the numerous different ways than God does. And so let's let's take a look at how what the world how the world views marriage. And so it first views it as a social contract based on self gratification. Okay. So when you say social contract, meaning what like what does that mean? You're we're one, but you're here to, to You're here for me. For me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Alrighty. I you're here to meet my needs, to meet uh, everything that I want out of life and you're basically here to Take care of me. Gotcha. Okay. All righty. And so, and it's based on self-gratification. And so if self-gratification is the goal, then are you there? Are you living how God wants you to live? Not at all. You're living for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so then the second thing that a um, contract marriage is, it's a commitment based on convenience. If you think about a contract between a plumber and let's say you need plumbing work done and you call this guy up and he comes over and and he says okay here's the contract and here's what I'm going to do for you and um, I'll be able to come next Saturday is that convenient for you and if it isn't you say no but then you find the time that is convenient and so he says all right he signed this contract here's what I'm going to do I'm going to fix your um, sink um, I'm going to take care of your shower head and, if necessary, um, replace whatever. He'll, he'll list all of those things that he's going to do in the contract. Okay? And so then you sign it and he signs it. And bada bing, bada boom, those are your expectations. So, right. Okay? So then, unfortunately, in marriage, we oftentimes approach marriage the same way, where we sign an agreement like you're going to meet my, we think anyway, okay, you're going to meet my needs. It's called unmet expectations. We have certain expectations. What happens in your contract with your plumber if he doesn't meet your expectations? You he's can, broken contract. He's broken the contract, and so therefore then you don't have to pay him. And that's oftentimes what happens in a marriage that's based on contract. You do this for me, and then I will do this for you. But if you don't do this for me, then you're not getting paid gotcha. in whatever kind of services we want to pay our spouse. Right. <laughs> And We're I'm not like, going to touch that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we will later. But <laughs> Okay, so if I hear you correctly, you're saying that it's based on if you do this 
for me, then I'll do that. It's like a if then kind of contract. And then if one of us or both of the parties don't live up to the expectations that you agreed upon, then you can break it. Right. Exactly. Because contracts are often made for a limited time, a limited period of time. So um, if, if that time period ends and the, whatever your expectations were, it's not been met, then you can break the contract. Yeah. Okay. So... I think the other really kind of squirrely thing about contract uh, marriage or that mindset mm -hmm. anyway, because, I mean, obviously we're not talking about two people like writing down their expectations (laughs) before they get... It's more of like the mindset. And I think that's what can be so squirrely is that you you can have this... Even though you, you know, you're a, a believer and you believe in the covenant of marriage and um, understand what scripture says about marriage, I think, you know, there are so, these, these, um, like self is so ingrained in us it is. that we set up these expectations. And we don't even realize that we're that doing we're it. doing it. And right. so, you know, like getting back to your plumber example, you know, at least when you're in a contract, when you enter into a contract for a service, it is clearly written out what the expectations are. Right. With marriage, a lot of times um, the contracts that we make are like they're unspoken, they're implicit. You know, we don't even... Our, our spouse doesn't even know the expectations right. that we had <laughs> for the marriage. And so they're just like, it's in like the, trying not to just walking through life, trying not to step in a man, a man line, a landmine. Right. Yeah. 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 It is. It's, it's, um, that's why I believe so much first in, in long periods of dating to really get to know one another and, and, uh, be able to take the mask off because you got to remember that when we're dating, we're pursuing. You know, we we're we're putting on our best best ma- self. Yeah, and then we get married and we go, "Where I didn't sign up for this." Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you see this contract mentality play out in your in your office? Like, what the couples that come in to see you? What often? Like, what are phrases that you hear that kind of, you know, make you realize that the mentality that they're holding or maybe some behaviors? That's a great question, um, Alicia. I, I think the biggest thing that I see is people always coming in and saying, he or she doesn't make me happy or um, I don't get. I'm not getting what I want. Another thing I hear is, I didn't sign up for this. I hear that a lot. I didn't sign up for him to not pick up his underwear, or I didn't sign <laughs> up for, for her not to have dinner on the table at 5 o'clock every night. And because those were unmet expectations, or expectations that they came into the marriage with that are not being met. And um, so, yeah, the, another thing that I hear a lot is, is that um, they don't make me happy. It's all all about me, I, 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 and um, so that sin nature really comes out, and they're angry um, because they don't have control over the situations, their spouse isn't doing what they want them to do, Um, and um, 
I think the theme that I see is blaming, that they don't take responsibility for their own actions. And um, that's why in my counseling, um, I never have the husband tell me all the horrible things the wife's doing and the wife tell me all the horrible things the husband's doing because then they leave the office worse than they felt when they came in. And so in my counseling techniques, it's having each of them look within their own self. And I ask them this question, which I will ask my listeners, is what is your responsibility to the disconnect of your marriage? Yeah. And because that's the only thing you and God can fix. You can't change your spouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I find um, you used to tell me, you know, whenever I would, (laughs) this is more related to my brother, um, but you'd always say when you have one finger pointing at somebody else, you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. But it's so true in um, in marriage is that, you know, we look at all of the faults of our spouse. And, you know, if we would take as much time, I think, examining our own hearts and our own um, I guess things that contribute to the disconnect of the marriage, then, you know, um, there could be some healing there, I guess is yeah. kind of what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about then if, you know, this idea of self and me and contract mentality in a marriage, um, let's, let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about you know, what a uh, covenant marriage um, could look like and what it looks like according to God. Well, God never intended marriage to be a contract-based marriage because God views the heart of marriage as a covenant. And what is a covenant, okay? A covenant, like a contract, is an agreement made between two or more people. But the nature of the agreement is quite different because the covenant says, I am here for you. Okay, the, A covenant is basically initiated for the other person, not for yourself. Yeah, and I think about, you know, God and his covenant with his people right. and just, you know, how marriage is such a reflection or, you know, is designed to be a reflection of the covenant that God made with right. his people. The way that, you know, his people kept wandering away from him over and over and over. And despite that, he just kept showing up and kept loving them. Now there's consequences for the, the choices, but, um, his love for us is, is never ending. Right. You know? Yeah. One of, one of my favorite scriptures as it pertains to, uh, marriage when Adam and Eve were connected to God was Genesis twenty two twenty three and and I mean it I think it really is a symbol of the closeness that Adam felt for Eve and where he said she is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh and what does that mean what that means is like wow we are one and I love being connected to her okay. And that, I mean, how many of us have that closeness with our spouse? And, and now, initially, yes, but then over the years, that closeness 
can wane and we no longer think that they're bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. We think <laughs> that they're a pain in the rear end. <laughs> you know? And so it's trying to get them to change their perspective. That's in, that is my foundational principle in marriage is when you change the way you look at your wife or your husband, you're going, the things, your marriage is going to change. And the way yeah. that perspective is changed is through the word and the love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to um, you know, covenant relationships, um, they're they're like one way commitments. They're not you know like if a if a contract marriage is a if then if if you do this then I will do that. You know the 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 basis of the covenant marriage is all about just unconditional promises promises and, and giving. And, right. And, and you know, there's a statement called steadfast love. What is steadfast? What is steadfast love? I believe steadfast love is the kind of love that Christ showed on the cross, which was redemptive love. And redemptive love is sacrificial love. Yeah. A covenant before God in your marriage is based on sacrificial love. Yeah. yeah. You always tell uh you make the analogy of trying to build the fire you know it's like if you if i oh with the wood pile and yeah the stove? tell that i don't think that is such like an incredible um example of the dynamic of what happens in a marriage when you're doing um, a, a contract versus the covenant well if you can imagine a pile of wood and then a stove and in the world's contract marriage is the wood says to the stove i'll give you wood when you give me heat and the instead of the stove saying okay i'm going to give you the heat it says well i'm not going to give you any heat until you give me wood and the wood says well i'm not going to give you any wood until you give me heat and they freeze to death and that's pretty much an example of if you do this then i'll do that that's your covenant marriage Okay, in a, I mean, that's a contract marriage. In your covenant marriage, it's, you think of the wood pile and the stove once again, but the wood says to the stove, I'll give you wood. And the heat said, the stove says, well, I'm not going to give you any heat. And what does the wood pile say? That's okay. I'm that's okay. Give you I'm going to keep giving can... you wood. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm just going to keep giving you wood. And the stove says, well, I ain't going to give you any heat back. And the woodpile says, that's okay. I'm going to continue to give you sacrificially right, what I know you need. And eventually the stove, the wood piles up all around the stove and it says, hmm, there's something different about that woodpile. They're not expecting anything back. And so that's, uh, it begins then to burn the wood to give the heat back to what the woodpile wants. Yeah. And so... Um, Dad talks a little bit about you know, because you you kind of made that shift, um, you know, in terms of becoming a Christ follower um, before dad did. Right. And I know, so my dad is a, a man of very few words. And so when he says something, you know, profound, that's not about like sports or the weather or his garden, um, you tend to listen. <laughs> and uh, he always talks about how, you know, what changed his life and what he feels like changed y'all's marriage was that he saw the changes mm -hmm. in you. And over time, again, it's not like, you Bibbidi know, -bobbidi -boo. right, like this quick, oh, for a week, 
you know, she did this. Just over time, he saw changes in you and the way that you showed up and loved him well and loved him differently, more sacrificially and less self-seeking than you used to. And that really changed it changed him. Changed and that's kind of, I feel like, is really what you're talking about with the example of the wood right, and, and, the, and the stove and the heat. Right. And that's that's the goal in counseling and the counseling that I do is to get the individual to understand the sacrifice of Christ, the love of Christ. And if he did that for them and he's asking them to sacrifice and make that covenant real and to give, not expecting anything back because covenant relationships are permanent Okay. Divorce is not an option. Alrighty. Now, I never tell any woman who or man who's being abused to stay in an abusive relationship. Absolutely. But ultimately, if um, you are truly coming into your marriage as a covenant relationship, you're going to have confrontation. Okay. Every marriage, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I don't have a perfect marriage, but I have a wonderful marriage. But there, there is confrontation that's going to happen. But then to go along in the covenant relationships, that covenant relationship requires forgiveness because of the confrontation. In other words, because it's that forgiveness and it's also the confrontation that's going to refine and shape and teach and learn. A scripture after scripture tells us why there is conflict, why there is pain. And um, it re it'll redesign us from the inside out. Well, I feel like too, when, um, I guess when you're, when you're looking at your spouse through God's eyes, I think he gives you eyes of compassion for your spouse. You don't like their behavior a lot of times. Like I know there are things that my husband does that drive me absolutely crazy and they push all my buttons and they trigger all my stuff. But, you know, when I'm looking at him through the yeah. covenant I made with him and through God's eyes, I have compassion for why he does certain things based on his story of right. brokenness and, and, and what happens. So, because right. um, compassion is what having an act of concern for the suffering of your, the other person versus having an act of concern for the suffering of yourself. And it doesn't mean right. that the issue doesn't need to be worked through or right. that the behavior is okay. But I think it give it softens your heart to be able to approach your spouse in love and working together to correct the the problem as opposed to getting angry and bitter and resentful towards each other. Right. Um, I, I just think it, it gives a different approach. So I think this kind of brings us to the question, because I think this is what happens, you know, some of the time anyway, is that what do you do when like one spouse is operating with that contract marriage mentality mm -hmm. and the other one is operating under the covenant um, mentality. I mean, that's, that's, that makes it really tough. I, I think one of the really unique things about you and dad when y'all were going through all of your issues is that both of you were willing to look at your own stuff and the disconnect of the marriage. And a lot of times for listeners out there, they don't have that same situation. It's like maybe one of them is willing to do that, but the other isn't. So what do you do with well, I, when I, you're in that? I think you just touched on that, Alicia, when you were talking about 
my hubby, uh, your dad, um, seeing the change in me. In other words, and the the example of the wood pile in the stove. You 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 make because you made a covenant before God and a um, you said this is permanent. It's unconditional. Um, it's based on redemptive love, sacrificial love. I, because Christ died for me, then I am going to love my husband. And there's the story of me wanting to leave my husband. Mm-hmm. And I'm crying out to God, do I leave? Do I stay? And God said, stay. And I said, I don't want to stay. I don't love him anymore. And I think this is a really important part of if one is in contract and the other one is in covenant, because that's kind of where my husband and I were initially after I accepted Christ and he didn't, Mm -hmm. was that I cried out to God and said, what do I do? Do I leave? Do I stay? And he said, stay. And that really blew me away. That was not the answer you wanted? That was not the answer I wanted. No, (laughs) not at all. And and the Holy Spirit said to me, "Um, we know you don't love him, all right, but we do. So love him with our love, the Trinity love, instead of your love. Just love him with our love because we love him. And eventually you'll be able to love him with your love mm. again. Because human love runs out. And so if one of, if just one of you is connected to the cross and to what Christ did on the cross for us, then you live out of the power of the resurrected life and you live with God's love because of his love he died on the cross, um, you're able to eventually change. You can't, but the heart of your spouse, as my husband's heart did, will eventually change. Because bottom line, I believe, if we could sum up everything we've talked about between covenant and contract marriage, I believe with all my heart that marriage is bottom line a gift of giving yourself. Mm. All right, And when you run out, then it's grabbing a hold of the power of the resurrected life that lives within you to be able to do it the way God would want you to do it. And that's why you need that woven rug. Yeah. Because of, what is it, a cord of three strands. Cord, that's, oh, yeah. A cord is, of three strands is not easily broken. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then remembering what we talked about in the earlier sessions is that the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is Satan. And his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy relationships, relationship with God, and then also relationship with one another. Yeah. Marriage, the gift of giving yourself. I like that. Yeah. All right. It's a great gift. Okay, we are back to, I think, what is becoming my favorite segment of our show, our Counselor's Corner. And this segment is basically where our listeners um, can write in and ask us a question, anything dealing with, with family whether it's parenting or personal issues it's or... almost kind of like if they could come and sit down on your blue couch <laughs> with the red stress pillow okay. and chocolate <laughs> and tissue yes mm-hmm. and just talk to you or ask you a question about um whatever it is that they're struggling with that's kind of this segment so jessica all right wrote in this question. She said, my children are getting older and in the next few years they will graduate from high school. I'm not sure what my role is as a parent to help them transition into adulthood. Wow. Woo! 
That's a loaded question. <laughs> and um, But that's such a true perspective, especially as your children get older. And what I would say to Jessica is getting them ready for adulthood doesn't happen or begin when they're 16 or 17. Your job as a parent is to teach your child to become their own parent. And that doesn't start when they're 16, 17, or 18, or a year out the door. Okay? It starts when they are very little. Yeah, you always break down, and I love this. This has really helped me with my kids. I mean, thankfully right now I don't have kids that are about to leave because my I don't think my mama heart can handle that right now. That's a whole nother question. <laughs> but you always help me kind of with these, I guess, stages right. of doing this. Could you talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. Um, when your child is able to talk and a child's reasoning power doesn't really begin to um, develop until maybe beginning in fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere in there. But when your child is from about two to six years of age, you have a responsibility as a parent to be responsible for your children. They don't have the reasoning power to think things out. They have basic skills where you can give them a choice. For example, um, you would say it's bedtime. You can either choose to go to bedtime now or 15 minutes from now. It's because you want to teach them the art of making decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because it seems like so silly because, I mean, in our brains, right. it's like that's not a big deal. It's not different. But there is something, the way that it disarms a... Um, an argument or a tantrum just by like giving them like the freedom of choice. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. And so So you're teaching them just to make their decision, make their decision and then stick to it. For example, I remember with Steven, I would say, do you want to go to bed now? Or do you want to go to bed 15 minutes from now? And he would say 15 minutes. And so then when the dinger went off and it was time for him to go to bed and he would say, I don't want to go to bed. And I said, that wasn't one of the choices you got. It, yeah. It's either go to bed now or 15 minutes from now. So and, even as early as z- two to six years old, right. they're, you're teaching them how to make choices. Make choices. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. And so then what's the next? So the next stage then is from about third, fourth grade, depending on the maturity of the child, to eighth grade. You have a responsibility to your child to teach them how to be responsible for themselves. Now, what I mean by that is if you want them to have the skill when they're driving and they have curfew, then you want to begin to teach them that when they maybe leave the house to take the bike ride down the street and say, be home by five Mm o'clock. And if they don't come home at that time that you set for them and they do come home, then it's your responsibility to teach them because discipline means to teach. So this is very important to discipline a child, which means to teach them. And you would say these three questions. This, these three questions are really important during this period of time from third grade up through ninth, eighth, ninth grade. They're, they're important the whole time, but this is critical. Yeah to ask these three questions. What happened? What'd you learn? What are you going to do different? Yeah. I think this phase is, this is where, you know, at least two of my three kids are. Um, I think the hardest part about this phase is letting them fail. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. so hard to let them 
fail, but that's really how they that's learn how they learn from their mistakes. And then it, and then in their failures, like me not getting angry, right. like it, it, instead of getting angry and frustrated, it's remembering that I am teaching my child to be their own parent. And so they're not going to do that perfectly. Right. So instead of in that moment getting angry and frustrated, I need to be their teacher be, right. and say, hey, let's talk about this. What'd you do? What'd you learn? And what can you do differently? Right. But that can be so difficult, but it's so good because then it teaches them right. To, right. to do it themselves. Yeah. And it's really important for you not to make the decisions for them unless there's a safety issue involved because um, making decisions and making good decisions is such an important skill that you will, your children will need for the rest of their life. Yeah. But if you're constantly coming along behind them and making their decisions for them or telling them what they're going to do because you, you know best because yeah. you're the parent, you're really cutting your um, children's legs off yeah. at the knee because they don't have that skill. So then when they're in these final kind of teenage years, what what is so, going on there? So for Jessica, uh, Jessica, hopefully by now you've done a lot of these things with your children and they have the they have the skills necessary to be able to make then from ninth, 10th grade on up within the, the, the boundaries, your boundaries are widened and you allow them to practice what they learned from third grade through ninth grade. I would rather have my child make a mistake or make a poor choice while they're under my rooftop than not being equipped when they go out and they're on their own. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's a hard question. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there right now that are like, well, snap, I didn't do any of that. So <laughs> like what, what do you, what can you do? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I know it's going to be difficult and hard, but so what could you, what could you start doing now if perhaps? Okay, so so the the stage where you, from fourth to ninth grade, if you didn't do that, and it's now ninth through twelfth, you grade, start doing you that. Start doing it. You start teaching them. All right, what happened? Letting them, giving them choices, letting them make choices that you know might not be um, beneficial for them. Now, nothing that would cause them to lose their life or anything, but where there would be a consequence, and you let them allow, you allow them to make the mistake. You always were big on natural, natural consequences, consequences. Right. like that if, you know, we didn't... Uh... For example, if you didn't get up in the morning, because I don't believe a parent who should be waking their ninth, ninth grade child up, that's a skill a child should have by the time they're in seventh grade. Right. But um, yeah, you wouldn't, younger, you wouldn't wake us up. And if they didn't wake up and they missed the bus... Then they had choices. They could either miss school, but if they missed school, they had to work around the house. If Or if they wanted to go to school, um, they had to pay me $5 because I wasn't going to be a taxi yeah. for them anytime they wanted. So there was there were consequences. And the natural consequences, I think, are so much more important um, than, than the consequences that you yeah. put on them. Like if they don't study, the natural consequence would <laughs> be to get a zero. I was about to, I, that was always my thing. Is I, would, I would always get up in the morning, but my thing was always, I would wait till the last minute for with like projects and papers and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and you wouldn't help me no. at all. You would always help me if I wouldn't wait till the last minute. But if I waited till the last minute... I would not help. And now Jack, my oldest, is kind of getting into that stage. And he did the same ding-dang thing the other night. He didn't study for his Bible test. 
and he wanted me to, um, he wanted me to help him because I usually help write note cards, you know, because he's got some learning differences and stuff. But that morning, I, everything in me wanted to rescue him and write those dang note cards. But your, your voice kept in my head. It was like, don't you dare write those note cards for him. And I didn't. I'm like, but he, Learn. he is learning, um, yeah. that he cannot wait till the last minute. So it's good. Yeah. Natural yeah. consequences work. So Jessica, I hope that helps. And, um, I know you're doing the best job we, you know how to do. And that's what I say to all parents is, you know, we do the best job we know how to yeah. do. Yeah. And that's why, uh, I love the ministry is that, okay, you know how, but there's, here are some other tips that yeah. we can do to help you and yeah. walk alongside of you. And at the end of the day, you know, God has handpicked you to be that, parent. that child's parent and he has equipped you and he's going to use all of our shortcomings as parents, um, just as part of their story right. and, uh, he'll use it all for good. So mm-hmm. thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer.